My name is Debbie. My name is Tanner. This is my son. He wanted to join me today for this video, so we're going to let him say something. What would you like to say? If you like this video, give it a thumbs up. Okay. Thank you, Tanner, for helping us out. <laughs> and he's off. <laughs> okay. But he will feel really good about being a part of the video, so that's all that matters, right? Oh, my goodness, you guys. Today is going to be awesome. Today we're in Romans 1 through 6. Welcome back, those who have been with me before, and welcome those who this is your first time. So if you have not been to spiritualcrusade.com, head on over there. There's going to be a podcast posted, posted this week that's going to really explain grace in a beautiful way. It's done by Craig, and he's awesome. So go and check that out because he's really going to focus on how this all ties together. So that's going to be great. So these chapters, 1 through 6, is focusing on grace, faith, and works, and how they come together. And he's going to talk really strong about one in one chapter and then another in another chapter and kind of makes you feel like you'll be reading one chapter and you're like, oh, it's all about grace. And you'll read another chapter and you're like, oh, it's all about faith. But then if you read them all together, you'll see that it's kind of like a, he, he brings it together like a three-legged stool. You need all three to stand up. You can't just have two of it falls over, right? You need all three for that stool to really um, stand. So he's gonna, we're going to pull it together, hopefully at the end. But um, we'll, each chapter, when it's focused on one, I will link at the bottom so you can know which ones focus on each one, and then we'll pull it together at the end. Okay, right. Let's start with one chapter, Romans 1, verse 1. Now here he is speaking to the Roman saints. And um, Paul is going to be, so the Jews were first given the gospel, and then the apostles were told to take it to all the world. So it was um, taken to the Gentiles and all the world. So he, in these chapters, is really going to be trying to unite them, trying to help them to come together. We're going to see that. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, meaning that he set apart to preach the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So right up from the beginning, he's saying, I didn't make this up. I didn't make up this message. It's been prophesied by the prophets before me. Then in verse 9, he's going to share with them that he loves them by saying, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Okay, if you're the one listening to this and you've gotten this, this letter, doesn't it make you feel so good to know that without ceasing, he's praying for them? So he lets them know right up from the beginning that he loves them. And then he goes on to tell them how he's tried to come out to see them, but he's been restrained every time. Verse 15, he says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome. So here we go, guys. <laughs> we're, ready to, we're ready to go. Now, if I had a big bulletin behind me, if I had a big umbrella that would share the main theme of his message, this is what it would be. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. So, remember, I would post this really big if I could. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what brings salvation to everyone that believeth. This is the answer. This is the major theme that he, that he has here. And then... I can't, I can't go past this, this particular verse without just saying how much I love the phrase, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. At, in verse 6, you guys have to hang in with me to the end, because in verse 6, he's going to talk a little bit about how to get to that point where you have that, that love in your heart so strong that you're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So hang in with me to chapter 6. But be thinking about your own life and where do we stand with that phrase. How, how much do we share with our neighbors and our friends? How much are we, 
you know, Paul taught everyone and everywhere, no matter what. And the question is, how, how much are we ashamed or not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Okay, so think about that. Now, we've got the major theme that the sal- this, this gospel is what will bring salvation, but we're also going to have some bullet points. And in verse 17, we're going to have our first bullet point for faith. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in his gospel. Faith in his promises. Faith in Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith, okay? Now, once again, we're going to pull all of these together, so hang in with me. Another bullet point here that's going to, he's going to really, if you are a prophet speaking to a group of people that you haven't been able to visit for a while, not only would you want to teach them the gospel, but you'd also want them to help, you'd also want to help them understand that God is not happy with unrighteousness. So in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Okay? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And we're going to see so much um, ungodliness and unrighteousness. From 20, basically from 26 to 29, it's just going to be just fornication, wickedness, covetousness, murder, um, pride, disobedient to parents. Yes, it's in there. <laughs> I love that he put that in there. I'm a mother of five children. So I read that and I was like, that's there. That, that is right there. <laughs> Obey me, children. It's right there. <laughs> um, but there is just, you know, homosexuality. What did I already say? Murder, pride. Okay, I'm just repeating because I can't remember which ones I said. But he said he gives us all kinds of sin. And he's trying to say, this is not good in the sight of God. Right? God is, the wrath of God is, is against all ungodliness. So now if I was Satan and I wanted to corrupt a soul or even a nation of people, the first thing I would do would be to change and to corrupt their understanding of God. Because if you don't understand the true nature of God, why not sin, right? It, it, it totally, I mean, if you don't think there's a God, there's no reason not to sin, right? So we're going to see that the true nature of God is going to begin to be destroyed and changed. So in verse 21, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Who would have thought that being thankful was so important? Well, actually, we know that because it's throughout the scriptures repeatedly. But that idea that they don't want to glorify him and, they don't, and they're not grateful to him. So if you're not grateful, you don't say your prayers. Because why if you're not grateful? And if you don't want to glorify him, you don't go to church. Why go to church if you don't want to glorify him? Do you see how we can apply this to our lives today? These are things that isn't, it's not just for them. These letters can be written to us. You know, how grateful are we to our Father in heaven? How much are we going to glorify him when we go to church? Not just for social reasons or to put on a good show, but how much we really glorify our God. Okay, 23. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. So in these days, we saw that in rocks and in like figurines and in idols. And, you know, they were praising a corruptible thing. God is not corruptible. It says the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image. Okay, so let's apply this to our days. What kind of things do we, um, you know, glory, honor? <laughs> do we put more of our effort and time and, you know, um, off the top of my head, maybe, you know, our car, 
Maybe we have a car, you know, we have a sports car or our sports, speaking of sports, you know, how much of it, how much of us, you know, might not want to go to church on Sunday because we've got our sports on or what about, um, you know, social media and video games and all these things that take all of our time. Are we, um, kind of worshiping those instead of our creator? Well, actually he's going to say that in similar words here soon, who changed the truth of God into a lie. How much truth do we have? absolute truth that is like not disputable and yet all of a sudden it's becoming a lie what about abortion they, they say it's not a life it's a life that's an absolute truth right so we're going to see a lot of this idea that absolute truths are turned into lies and then they serve the creature more than the creator i kind of think of this as <laughs> i was trying to apply this personally in my life and i was thinking you know fasting is hard fasting is hard because we want to serve our appetites it, we're hungry, right? We want to serve the creature more than the creator. What about tithing? Tithing is hard. What if I really want a new camera? <laughs> and I'm, you know, it's, it's hard. I want to serve the creature more than the creator. That's a thing. That's a natural man thing. And here's, he, he's saying that they were beginning to do that. And it's wrong when, when we need to put, we always need to put God first. And there's certain things that will start to creep in. And we just need to make sure that, you know, they don't creep in. No, tithing comes first, right? Um, okay, so in 28, um, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They, they just wanted, if there is no God, they can send all they want. So they don't even want to remember him. They don't even want to know he's, he exists. Just out of, out of our knowledge, right? We don't want to teach it to our children because we can send all we want if there's not a God. So, right? So they're going to see all these sins. There's a phrase in here that is three times this phrase is in this chapter. That's a little bit of a confusing phrase. So we're going to talk about it. In verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanliness. Verse 26, God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What does this mean? And to me, it means that he had to give them up to their own agency. God can do only so much, right? He's going to answer our prayers. He's going to give us scriptures. He's going to give us good parents. He's going to, he's going to do everything in his power to help us. And at some point, we have free agency. And he can't force us back to heaven. He can't force us to be righteous. He can't force us to love him. So at some point, he has to just say, you do have free agency. He still tries. He still loves us. But he does have to give us up to our own free agency at some point. Okay. Now, verse 2, chapter 2, sorry, chapter 2 has two diatribes in it. Now, a diatribe, I'm just reading this straight from the Institute Manual <laughs> because it just, it's going to explain it better than I could in my own words. A diatribe is a rhetorical style in which authors state their readers' objections and then respond to them. So, straight from the manual, Paul, having just taught about humanity's sins, now turns to an imaginary listener and declares the man to be guilty of judging others of sin the man has committed himself. Let's read this, verse 1. Therefore, thou art excusable, O man, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. Why are you judging? For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemneth thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. You're judging them for things that you're doing. Stop judging them for things that you're doing. Um, and then in verse 3. So from the Institute Manual, Paul replies that if it is right for God to condemn people for their sins then the man who has also sinned cannot expect to escape the judgments of God. Let's read it. 
And thinkest thou this, O man, that thou judgest them which do such things and doeth the same, that thou escape the judgments of God? Do you think that you can judge them but do the same thing and escape his judgments? We're going to see the same hypocritical type lesson in our second diatribe in verses 17 through 24. So here he's speaking to an imaginary Jew. In verse 17, thou art called a Jew. Verse 18, being instructed out of the law, you have the law of Moses. Okay, so you're a Jew, you have the law of Moses. 19, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. So you think that you can, you know, teach and bring people out of darkness. However, in verse 21, thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not still, dost thou still? Thou that saith a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? So we see in both diatribes, he's kind of got this whole, don't be hypocritical. <laughs> you might have the law of Moses. You might be teaching the law of Moses. But if you're not living, going into works, the law of Moses, you cannot expect to um, escape the judgments of God. Once again, in the first diatribe, you might be judging others and thinking, oh, holier, you know, are I. <laughs> but you're not escaping the judgments of God. You're not fooling anybody. If you're not living the commandments, despite whether you're judging everybody or um, teaching everybody, if you're not living it, you don't escape the judgments of God. And I think this, um, you know, it, he's speaking here to the Jew, but I also think it's important to think of it as believers, as Christians, or even as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I love being a member of this great church. So um, so when I talk about this, sometimes I'm just going to refer to myself here because that's how this works. But as a member, I cannot look at others and think, oh, holier am I because I have the truths that I have. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like we have to be living the law. We have to be obeying God's commandments, right? Okay, so we're going to see works highlighted in 10, but glory, honor, and peace to every man. Once again, we're going to see this, uni this united field, this, you know, you're united. There is no separation here. Glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also the Gentiles, for there is no respecter of persons with God. So if you're working good, glory, honor, and peace to you, to all men, all men everywhere, no matter who you are, whether you have the law or you don't have the law. And we're going to see that in this next verse, this next verse in 13 and 14. In 13 and 14, he says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law. So just because you have the law and you've heard the law does not make you righteous. Same thing for members of the church. Just because we have these truths does not make us righteous. It does not make us better than others. It does not set us up or set us apart. It's not the hearing of the law. It's the doing of the law. In verse 14, he talks about the Gentiles don't have the law, and yet they're living the law naturally. It says here by nature. And it says in, in 15 that, the, that they show the works of the law written in their hearts. So they may not have the law, but they're living much more righteously because they're doing the law naturally. So once again, this whole idea that it's not about whether you're a member of the church or not, whether you're a Jew or not, whether you have heard the, the law or not, or the truth or not, it's what, are you living it? Are you living the commandments, right? Okay, last, um, last thing we're gonna do in this chapter, once again, kind of talking about works is in 25 through 29, 
And here he's talking about circumcision. Now, circumcision, circumcision, wow, I'm saying that wrong. Circumcision was what the Jews did. It was an outward performance for an inward commitment. And once they went through that ceremony, they were under the, they were part of the covenant people. It was a covenant of sorts. So we're going to replace the word circumcision with covenant here in verse 25. For covenants verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Your covenants will profit you something if you keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy covenant is made uncovenant. It's made void. <laughs> um, I mean, it's he's basically saying the covenant, like the, he says here, the circumcision is not doing you any good if you're breaking the law. Same as the covenant, because that's how we would apply this to our lives. The covenants are doing us no good if we're breakers of the law, right? And in verse 28 and 29, he says it's not about the outward. It's about the inward. It's about your heart. It's about your... Um, it's not, you know, you can say I've, you know, made this commitment. I've, I'm a member of this church. I'm, I'm good. I'm saved. For the, for the Jews, it was, I've gone through circumcision. I'm a part of the covenant people. I'm saved. But no, it's not. It's about the heart. Um, and, and are you obeying the law? Okay. Okay, you guys, we're in verse three, not six, three. <laughs> and in this verse, in this one, we're really going to see this idea that we all fall short. So we need grace. Okay, so chapter three is going to be a really good grace chapter. Um, starting, we're going to start in verse nine where he says, um, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So then he's going to start listing of ways that we fall short. And then in verse 23, once again, this would be the bullet point theme for this chapter. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all Look, you know, it's up here and we're all just falling short. We're not quite there. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, let me read the definition of grace here. Divine means of help or strength. We're going to stop right there. This is divine means of help or strength. Don't we all need that? Don't we all need a little bit more help, a little bit more strength, right? So where does it come from? Given through the bounteous mercy and love of Jesus Christ. He is the one that's going to provide this grace. We all need it because we all fall short. So now in verse 4, he's going to tell us a story. Not verse, chapter. I'm sorry, chapter 4. Go with me to chapter 4. 4, guys. In chapter 4, he's going to give us an example of, um, of how this kind of pulls together. And we're going to talk about Abraham. Abraham, and here's kind of where he just says, he, you know, by works him itself, he couldn't get there. He couldn't make his promise come. Let's back up a little bit. He was promised in verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. He was promised to be the father of many nations. And yet he and his wife were not able to have children. Now in verse two, it says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Like his works couldn't get him that promise. He could do all everything he could, but at the end of the day, he was falling short. He could not give those, he could not get that promise of being a father of all nations. But it was made possible through his Savior Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. Isn't that beautiful? Against all odds, he believed in hope. And being in 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, basically, because he's 
when he was about 100 years old, so he's like 100 old, he is not considering his body, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He will not consider the fact that she is past childbearing ages. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that he, Jesus Christ, had promised he, Jesus Christ, was able to perform anything that Jesus Christ has promised us, he is able to perform. And he staggered not at that promise, but he needed that extra help because he couldn't get there himself, right? He couldn't make that, that come true by himself, that promise. Now, verse 16, I'm going to read the JST version of verse 16 because it's going to pull all three of these together. Therefore, you are justified of faith and works through grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed. And then he's going to talk about not just those who have the law, but also those who um, don't have the law. So, we are justified, we are made righteous through faith, works, and grace. So that's verse 16 in the JST version. It brings it all together. We need all of these, okay? Now, Abraham, if we're going to apply this to ourselves, because it's good to apply the scripture to ourselves, what is it that, where is it that we feel hopeless? I want you to think about your life. Or think of another's life, someone else who might be struggling with an addiction, and they are completely hopeless. How can you help them recognize that the Lord can help him them through anything and everything. How do you help them recognize that wherever they feel like they can't get to the next place because they're just past hope? They're not past hope. There's no such thing as being past hope. With the grace of God, the Lord can get us to wherever we need to be. If we need to be overcoming an addiction, if we want to become the pers a different person, not, you know, not like literally a different person, but a person in righteousness. If we need that change, if we need that help, we all need that divine help to help us get there, right? Um, Abraham needed that help to help him. And they were able to bear a child. Um, okay, so, and he did become the father of many nations. That promise came true, you guys. So that's a good story. And I just want you to read the whole thing sometime. Now, chapter five um, is where, oh, chapter five. Okay, so it wasn't six where he talks about being ashamed, it was five. So let's talk about chapter five where he talks about not, you know, getting to that point where you're not ashamed. Therefore, being justified by faith, we're starting in verse one, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto grace. So we have access by faith into this grace. Sorry, I read it wrong. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. There's that ashamed word. Hope maketh not ashamed. We need all these things to get to this point, but then this is the part I really want to highlight. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When the love of God is in your heart so deeply and just so fully and completely, you can't help but, but want to share it with everybody. You can't help, but you can't, you're not ashamed because you want to share it with everybody, right? So I love that he teaches us how to get there. We need these things. And then this love of God is gonna fill our hearts and we're not gonna be ashamed. Now in verse 20, he's gonna teach us a little bit more about grace. He says, um, 
but where sin aboundeth, grace did much more abound. Now, I was doing this with my son, and I was teaching him this idea, and I said, so no matter how much someone sins, this is not an equal scale. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't say where there is sin, there is equal grace. It says where there is sin, there is much more grace. Right? He turns to me and says, Mom, he's seven, by the way. That's not the way a scale goes. If there's more grace, then it needs to go down because it's heavier. So you should say there's more grace. And I... I just had a laugh because I was like, oh uh, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're right, that, that, that is the way it goes. Um, but I just felt weird being like, there is more grace. <laughs> so just go with me here on this. We're going to go up. But my seven-year-old son did inform me that that's not the way a scale looks. So, but we're just going to go with it today. Wherever the group is, no, however much sin there is, there is more grace, okay? We have more grace. There is never a point where you have sinned too much, where you're below hope. There is always hope. Jesus Christ will always pull you up. You just have to want it. Going back to those first chapters when they didn't want it, but God had to just turn them over to their um, agency. But when you do want it, at any point that you need help or want help or have any even spark of a glimmer of faith or hope, the Lord is there to pull you up and help you, okay? I love this phrase, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Much more, not just a little more, much more, okay? Okay, um, six. Oh, guys, this chapter really pulled it together for me as far as understanding works, okay? So let's read this. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. Now, immersion. Immersion is important, guys. We need baptism by immersion because that is symbolizing death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now that is what I think is the key to works here. It There are people out there who are bedridden, who can't do these glorious manifestations of work. They're not going out and serving everybody. They're not going out and... But they love the Lord and they have faith in Him. And they qualify for grace because it's not about, in my opinion, it's not about the grand gestures. It's about walking in the newness of life. It's about wanting righteousness. Now let's see that in the next couple ones. He says, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Dead to sin. When you're baptized, you're dead to sin. But alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Alive. Once again, that that is like the, the, that, that feeling of wanting to live a good life, to represent Jesus Christ, right? And then in 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't let your body be an instrument of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as though that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Instruments is a works word. We are to work, um, to produce works of righteousness, be an instrument in God's hands. Go out and serve if you can serve. And if you can't serve, pray. Pray for them, right? This is where I think works really comes together for me because I feel like he's trying to say here, work righteousness. Um, and back to that verse where he talked about glory, honor, where is that one? Glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh righteousness. So here he's saying when you're baptized, you come up a new person. You no longer want sin. 
You want to be an instrument in God's hands, to walk in newness of life. This is where works really comes into play as that third leg. It is not about who's doing the better works than who. God is not saying, you're doing better works so you're saved. No, it's not about this competition of works. It's about our hearts. It's about our desire to be an instrument of righteousness, to walk in the newness of life, to bury sin and do good works, right? So it's about our hearts. Um, so being into verse 22, verse 22, but now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Your fruit unto holiness. Fruit, what fruit are you bearing, right? Okay, so really quickly, this is a little bit off topic, <laughs> but bear with me here as we, as I just try to, this is something that for me, I felt like was important, even though it's not in these, in these scriptures. Baptism is a one-time thing. We're baptized, bury sin, come alive, be this new person, but then what? We all fall short of the glory of God. He taught us that. We fall short of the glory of God every day. Even if we're doing our best to walk in this newness of life, to be this, this, this different person, we all fall short of the glory of God. We need grace. We need him to pull us every day and to get us to the new this new point. Now, in the podcast by Craig, he talks about how he will help us do better works. Through his grace, he will improve our works. I think that's how he said it. You're going to have to listen to the podcast to really get the full gist of it. But this is what I want to talk about really quickly, repentance. Repentance is important because that is where we can walk in the newness of life every day. Every day. And when you partake of the sacrament on Sunday and you give up your sins again, again you can walk in the newness of life. But repentance doesn't have to be a once a week thing. It doesn't have to be a only when I sin really big thing. Repentance, in my opinion, this is going to be all Debbie here, is a moment-to-moment thing. Now, I want to go back to when Moses put the serpent on the rod, and he waved it. And he said to all those that had been bit by another serpent, If you look, you shall live. Now, some looked and lived, and others refused to look and live. Now, I want you to think of repentance. When you think of repentance, think of look and live. Look and live. Repentance is turning back to God. It's changing our ways and re- and returning back, turning back to our Savior Jesus Christ. So every time you make a mistake, turn back to God. Look and live. Right? Isn't that beautiful? It all came together to me in this last conference where they were talking about this story and I just thought, this is a daily thing. When I'm upset and yelling at my kids and I do not feel like repenting because I am still really angry, I don't need to necessarily wait until I'm sorry. I just need to look and live. I need to go have a conversation. Just go pray and say, Heavenly Father, help me. (laughs) Give me the grace to get through this moment because I am not happy right now and I need help, right? I'm sorry, but I don't know how to get past this point. What about forgiveness? What about when we are like, okay, I cannot forgive on my own. Look and live. Go have a conversation with your Savior and just say, I need help forgiving this person. I can't do this myself. Don't always wait until you're, you know, till you've gotten to that point, ask for help, ask for his grace. Look to him, look to the savior of us all. Look and live, he will get you there. His grace will pull you through. If you say a bad word, you can immediately say, sorry, I am so sorry, forgive me. Your repentance can be immediate where you're like, I'm ready to change now, I don't wanna do that again. And other times it's a working progress. You're just asking for his grace. (laughs) 
You're saying, please help me to be sorry, <laughs> right? So that's my opinion. These chapters are about baptism, but I, or chapter six is about baptism, but I also want you to think about repentance. Every time you can look and live, you can turn back to your Savior and say, I'm sorry. You can walk in the newness of life again. You can be that new creature again and again and again and again because we fall short daily. We need the grace of God daily. But through His grace and through our faith in Him and through those, those works and those efforts that we, we put forth, those works of righteousness, we can return. We can make it. He will help us. And I just, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. These chapters have been so incredible for me. I have loved them and I hope you have loved them with me and I hope you will come back next time. See ya.